What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Today's episode is rock solid. We've got Bill Treasurer on the program, and he's got some stuff to say. If you don't know Bill, get ready, because this conversation is excellent. Bill is a best-selling author, speaker, and all-around leadership development guy. He's written six books, and we're going to cover his newest, Leadership, Two Words at a Time, Simple Truths for Leading Complicated People. We'll touch on concepts like leadership fitness, cultivating composure, and even work in a dash of Marcus Aurelius. He's an awesome person. This conversation was a blast, and I think you're going to dig it. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Bill Treasurer on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. All right, well, let's get on into it. We'll, uh, Lori, watch the door, continue to let people in as they... I got it as they meander towards bartender time. Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all. It's Wednesday. It's your favorite day and mine. It's Corporate Bartender Day. Um, here it is. This is the date that says 2 October because I changed the number and not the month. It is 2 November today. <laughs> yes. Not October because I'm still in denial that Christmas is like seven weeks away. I thought of that today too. And I was like, how can that be? That's, That's the just... dumbest thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my entire life. I just, I can't, I can't even, right. I mean, we just went through a spate of birthdays and stuff and, you know, I take the pressure of, of finding really, you know, thoughtful, meaningful, cool gifts. And I'm like, Christmas just exhausts me. <laughs> you got to do that for everybody. And I'm like, can I just give everybody money? I'll just give you $20. <laughs> 20 bucks, $20 Starbucks cards for everybody. I don't know. <laughs> well, today's going to be a fun day. We've got a guest, as you can see. Bill Treasurer is here. Uh, he's an author, speaker, consultant. He's written like, I don't know, 50 books. He's written a ton of books. He's written books with titles such as Courageous Leadership, The Leadership Killer. One of the ones that caught my eye was A Leadership Kick in the Ass, which that's kind of right up our alley. And uh, today we're going to talk about his newest book, Leadership, Two Words at a Time. So let's give everybody a big TCB welcome here. Welcome, Bill. Hey, good to see you all. Good to be here. Yeah, on it's November a dance 1st. Party. This is the day that they turned on my XM radio. They've already turned on the Christmas music. I kid you not, all the Christmas stations. You know, the country Christmas and the rock and roll Christmas. No. Yeah, they turned on the Christmas no. station. That's right. the wrong answer. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that. I was just accepting the fact that we could have Halloween music, not even getting into Christmas music. <laughs> well, speaking of books, you guys know, you heard us talking about it here at the beginning. Our book is out. Uh, any help that you can give us in spreading the good word that is the gospel of you, me, we, we uh, are super grateful and, and super thankful for anything that you're willing to do. Uh, we've got some guests upcoming. Um, actually, we're, we're filling it up, man. The uh, PR people are, are loading me up with some really good, really good guests. 
We've got on the 9th of November, uh, so next week, we've got Robert Jordan, who has written a book called Right Leader, Right Time, Discover Your Leadership Style for a Winning Career and Company. That's going to be a good one. Uh, on the 30th, we have Thais Gibson, who has written a book called Attachment Theory, A Guide to Strengthening the Relationships in Your in Your Life, which is pretty important to us here at Sky Team, given that everything we do is about relationships. So looking forward to that one. And then on December 14th, we have Dr. Carla Fowler, who uh, she she's an MD, PhD, who now runs a coaching company. And she has this scientific approach to performance science. So I'm super excited to get geeked out about whatever the hell that means. <laughs> super excited. Guests of plenty upcoming. So clear those Wednesday calendars and uh, try to get home. Before the traffic starts, Yvonne. <laughs> uh, our, our today's news item, I always try to pick a news item that's, you know, least relevant to our guest. Well, this one was written by our guest, so we super can actually relevant. talk. Super relevant, right? <laughs> so, this is from chiefexecutive.net, um, and the headline caught my eye. It said, a dose of reality for new leaders, and then like the sub-bullet that you could see in the Googles was managing adults is a lot like babysitting. So yeah, as HR practitioners, how often, how many times have we said that in our life? There's a lot of parallels between parenting and managing people. <laughs> so Bill, talk to us a little bit about this idea about managing adults being a lot like babysitting. Why, why is that a thing? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, let me tell you, we have coordinated the colors of our book covers because look at your book cover and mine. And and, I, and we also have the Ukrainian flag in there a little bit with those. Oh, colors. yeah. Uh, nice. These would look good sitting next to each other on the shelf, I think. Exactly. They sure, sure enough would. So this uh, this article here that actually uh, much of that article stems from a book that I wrote a while back called The Leadership Kick in the Ass. And the leadership kick in the ass, the basic premise of that book is, look, we we learn a lot from our leadership mess ups and our setbacks. Uh, Clint Hurdle, who was then the coach of the Pittsburgh Pirates, wrote the foreword of the book. He was he the said, he was the manager of the Rockies before he went to Pittsburgh. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. And there was a guy who was the guy that uh, was his mentor, Kelly something. Kelly. Um, yeah. He was like the GM of the yeah. Rockies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but Clint in the book, he said when he wrote the forward, he said he's learned that there's two kinds of leaders, those who have been humbled and those who are about to be. <laughs> <laughs> right? the like, every leader is going to get humbled at some point. And and I think that, you know, one of the things we talk about adults being big babies is is this you move into a leadership role. You're super psyched. Somebody noticed you. They saw how hard you work. They saw how productive you are as an individual contributor and they reward you with your own team. Yeah. And you know, how quickly does the honeymoon wear off? <laughs> right. And one of the reasons it wears off is because adults are big babies. And <laughs> uh, you know, I know this is not, this, I'm not supposed to say these kind of things with HR <laughs> professionals, right? It's okay. But, but yeah, sometimes, say adults, them all. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes adults can be big babies when they don't get their way. And, and by the way, that's true of the leader, him or herself. When, mm -hmm. when yeah. things aren't going the way they want it to be or things aren't under control the way they expected it to be. And so, you know, when you sign up to lead, you're thinking practitioner, operational tactics, your professional discipline, the thing that we have to get done. 
the challenge we're facing. But we don't think that, oh, you mean I'm going to have to be a part-time babysitter and a part-time psychiatrist too in my job? Because I didn't sign up for that. You didn't give me right. a playbook for that. So that's part of the, the thing about, you know, adults can be <laughs> big babies. They can also be wonderful, like, right? Yeah. Like, let's let's say that and establish that. In fact, the greatest reward for being a leader is the fact that you can shape people and influence them and create opportunities for them for the trajectory of their entire career and leave them as a better human being in the way that some people probably did for you along the way too. So yeah, they could be big babies and they can also be beautiful human souls that are doing good in the world. Yeah. I, I love that. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's funny though, I looking through that there were five sort of bullet points in this article and, uh, I can see now I want to go read leadership kick in the ass because <laughs> you read these bullet points and you think, man, does anybody ever want to do this job? Because the remaining four are facing demands remains relentless and unforgiving. <laughs> so don't be a baby. Uh, making people uncomfortable is your job. <laughs> so don't be a baby. Expecting the cavalry to come to your rescue is a fantasy. So don't be a baby and realizing the biggest problem is mostly you. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a feel good article to get you fired up about being a leader. <laughs> but, you know, Bill, what I love about it is the sort of no nonsense approach and advice to folks who, who kind of stumble into these leadership roles. You know, a lot of times, I work a lot with technology companies and if you're a really good technologist, they reward you by giving you a manager job, something for which you're probably pretty ill prepared unless you're one of those natural gifted leaders of people. Um, and you might not have even wanted. So this sort of straightforward, no BS approach to leadership advice I thought was, was, was great. And you know, it sort of, it sort of ties in tightly with the book. So before we get too deep into, you know, kicking leaders butts and talking about <laughs> quippy hooks here, tell us a little bit about you and your story. I imagine that in your, your glory days of college, you did not expect to be a leadership development expert and author of books on the topic. Tell us how you got here. Yeah. So you're right about that. I thought it was going to be Jerry Maguire. I, <laughs> uh, I studied sports management at West Virginia University, which qualified me for exactly nothing, except to maybe <laughs> open a health club. Uh, and and uh, so I realized pretty quickly, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do something else. Um, but I also was a springboard diver. I went to college on a full athletic scholarship. Nice. Then after college, I was a member of the U.S. high diving team and I would dive from 100 foot platforms oh. into tiny pools for a living. Like Bugs Bunny into a cup. A tea exactly. Cup. <laughs> it looked like a little teacup. I'm traveling at 50 miles an hour. So yeah. let, let's absorb that for a second. A hundred <laughs> feet. Blow by that, right? A <laughs> hundred feet. Was that your tallest dive? I, the highest dive I ever did was 114 feet. And that was at Magic Mountain in California. California. Uh, and But I know divers. Uh, I know a guy uh, named Oliver Favre who went... Um, he was at 184 feet and, wow. uh, and he broke his back. Now he didn't break his back to being paralyzed, but he did break his back on the dive. Mm -hmm. um, and I've known, a, you know, another guy, 164 feet, he broke two wrists and ribs, but now high diving um, has been, you know, uh, Red Bull has all sorts of high diving contests. Now you can go to, of course they do. 
<laughs> yeah, because of course they do. Yes, they. Uh, but they've legitimized high diving. So high diving, if you generally think about it, you know those are absurd. 164, 184. They're actually over 200 feet now. But high diving in the tradition that I, you know, did it was 100 feet, and yeah. they're doing that now. You know, in the Olympics they do 33 feet, and you're like, wow, look at the 10 meter. It's so high. <laughs> we were three times higher than that, and this is years ago. But it wasn't an official Olympic sport because it was an extreme sport. But now FINA sponsors it. Red Bull sponsors it. And so it is going to be an Olympic sport. And in fact, if you go to the Hall of Fame pool today in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, they now have high dive. They, they have built platforms three times higher than the traditional platform you've seen wow. in anticipation of it becoming a world-class sport like that. So I, I just didn't want that to fly by without drawing attention to the fact that you've done something that a very small segment of the population of human beings have done. This is probably true, but we're all unique people. Um, I, I will say that to add a little bit of a dose of the absurd to it even more is that we would at the end of every night show, because we would do about six shows a day, uh, the night show, we would be paid a visit by Captain Inferno. Uh oh. And Captain Inferno would be have a towel that was soaked in gasoline. You'd be <laughs> under two cotton sweatsuits. And then they'd light that damn thing off and you'd be on fire in front of 2000 people. <laughs> and you quickly wanted to get the hell off the perch because, you know, you're on fire. So, you know, we would also what be fired. What could go guys. wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> so now that I've lost all credibility with all. <laughs> so how He's does like, the high Don't diving... take me off message, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See what you did? Yeah. The, uh, so now that you've got a fire, di fire diver, high diver on the, uh, the show, uh, you're probably thinking, well, how, how does that qualify you to you know, mm -hmm. talk about leadership, right? Uh, so the answer is that I was leading this troop of athletes around the country with the U.S. high diving team, mostly at Six Flags Parks, but other parks mm -hmm. as well. And, and early on, I was put into a leadership role as captain of the team. And one of the divers, you know, says, hey, Treasure, come here. This is after a show. And I had just lit into the team because they didn't perform at the level mm -hmm. I thought they should perform. And I had no leadership experience, right? And so this guy came up to me, he was older than me. He said, let me tell you something. You ever talk to us like that again? I'll walk. Mm -hmm. I don't need this job to be treated poorly by you or anybody else. Wow. Okay. And uh, he, he said, you suck as a leader. <laughs> I was okay. like, I'm your boss, dude. I'll talk to you any way I want. Right. Then. <laughs> I, I was like, but I thought about it. I had no idea who I was as a leader. I, right. I was mimicking my dad. My dad was coming out of my body, right? And my dad, God love him, God rest his soul, uh, he was a hothead and he was yeah. short fused as a lot of people are when they're in leadership roles. And uh, But I picked up a book called The One Minute Manager. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. And I got a little bit better at leading. I got very interested in the topic. And, and then I started to read other books on leadership and I decided to go to graduate school. I went to the University of Wisconsin at Green Bay um, and so I, yeah, don't tell Ru me you went to GB. No way. No way. No, R Ruby's husband is from originally from Wisconsin and they are owners in the Green Bay Packers organization. Hey, shareholder. <laughs> I'm a shareholder too. We own a piece of Packers. Come on, Go Aaron Packers. Go Packers. <laughs> they need help right now. They need help. Uh, so yeah, they, so do. <laughs> they, they, they sure enough do. So I did a crappy job of leading, but I started getting interested in organizational development and leadership. And I went to graduate school, wrote my thesis on leadership, and then got involved in other organizational development companies and such um, that set me on my way. Eventually, I found my way to Accenture. 
one of the world's largest management and technology consulting companies. And there I became their first full-time internal executive coach. And I was coaching people who all outranked me to help them be better leaders and get clarity on their careers. And uh, and then 9-11 happened and I, I felt like the jig is up. We live in a really fragile world and there's other stuff that I want to do before you know I pass through this life. Yeah. And decided to start my own business. And it was 20 years ago in August. And it's called Giant Leap Consulting. Because now like I a hundred people. foot leap into there a you pool. Go, there you go. <laughs> You're putting it together. The nodes are connecting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so now my that's still right. Like basically now my job is to help you take whatever high dive you're facing or whatever. It's a great metaphor. Companies take high dives, careers take high dives, leaders take high dives. So my business is dedicated to, it's a courage building company. It's one of my URLs is couragebuilding.com to help people take whatever high dive they might be facing. I love that. The, just the idea, you know, courage, it, it takes courage to be a leader, right? It, it's one of the components of the ally mindset in our book. We pair, we pair things together in what we call practices and courage goes with vulnerability in our model yeah. um, mm-hmm. because you've got to be your authentic self, right? You've got to sort of let your, your walls down. And, you know, you talk a lot about living the values that you want others to live. Um, and a lot of times we step into these leadership roles. We don't, we're not comfortable enough to do that. We're playing a part that we think other people want us to play and living, stepping into our own values is tough. What advice do you have for folks about that, about living their values out loud? Yeah. You know, the word that comes up for me is congruency. Are you congruent with your values? You have values and you you might have stated values and even stuff that you argue about that you feel really strongly about. Do you live your values, right? Is there congruency between the values you have and how well you're living them? Um, I'm reminded of a story. I tell it in, in two different books. I tell it. It's not my story. It's uh, Dante's Inferno okay. and uh, yeah. the, the great epic poem from Dante Alighieri. And he he uh, he tells the story about a, a person. It's actually it's a man in a midlife crisis. Like literally, the book starts in the middle of a guy's midlife crisis. He says something to the effect of, "I was in the middle way, and I realized I was in a darksome wood. The person I was supposed to become and the person I am were two different things. Mm-hmm. And to get back to the person, authenticity about who he's supposed to be, he has to go through nine levels of hell." And before he goes through hell and he goes with a mentor to help him through the experience, Virgil, he's outside the gates of hell. And there's this group of people who are walking and they're transparent. They're translucent. They're called shades. They call them shades. It's actually the HR department, I think, is hell. (laughs) They had to go through the (laughs) HR department. And that's exactly (laughs) what happened. You're right. uh, (laughs) They got sent to HR, the two of them. This uh, and they're out there with the shades of people, and it's and they're at the front entrance of the gate of hell. And who are these shades of people? Because they're the people that heaven didn't want and hell wouldn't have. And they're consigned to march behind a banner for eternity, and the banner is flapping in the wind. Meanwhile, wasps are biting them. And what do you think it says on their banner? What does it say on their banner, Bill? It says nothing. Because these are the people who never stood for anything Ah. in life. Mm -hmm. These are the people who never stood for anything in life. And their hell for eternity is to march behind a a banner that stands for nothing. Nothing. So you asked me about values. 
What I suggest, and I, I write this in the book, is that each person write, get a piece of paper and put five flags. What are the five values that you hold dear that you want on your flag? Mm. Uh, so that so you're not having to stand out and be a shade of a person. What are the what are the five values that you hold? And what do they look like when you're living them? When you Ooh, embat, when you are congruent with those values, what shows up? So those are some like thoughts that. on values. I like that. I don't want to be a shade, but I'll certainly throw some shade. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you you talk about in your book, you talk about three areas of leadership fitness. What does that mean? I, I'm noticing a, a, a theme here with the fitness and the diving and the swimming. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I wish I, I'm, you, let me just say that you, I can say it here in front of you at a bar. We're at a bar. Right? That's right. We're, in the, yeah, we're at the bar uh, that you do not. Speaking of fitness, I you do not need to see me in a speedo anymore. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, we can establish that. Right I, I think I think we're all on the same page here, Bill. I don't think anybody wants to see either one of us in a speedo. This is good. Today. Let's, if you do see me in a speedo, you should go to HR very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so the the book is about three areas of leadership fitness. I you can think of them like if you do these three things, because leaders get new leaders especially get subsumed like we talked about the honeymoon's over right you realize that this is way harder than i thought it was going to be it's not what i signed up for i thought i was going to be able to go and you know be at the offsite meeting all the time at the boondoggle and it's just now really hard and so what i'm saying is don't get so subsumed by the responsibility and the burden that leadership often feels like and instead take your leadership two words at a time and writ large, the biggest three umbrellas are, first of all, you're going to lead yourself, those two words, right? Lead yourself. And that means personal discipline, personal evaluation, self-assessment, being able to manage your time well, prioritize, and practice self-care oh. out of not selfishness, but out of self-respect. So, so leading yourself. The second area of leadership fitness is leading others. And that's different than leading yourself. And that means removing barriers to their performance and setting a clear path, a career path with them, uh, establishing goals with their input, giving them the feedback that they need to be successful and treating them really well because your success is determined by how successful they are. So leading others, second area of leadership fitness. But you do those two things because you were put in the leadership position to get stuff done. Right. And sometimes I don't use the word stuff. It's okay. You can say whatever the fuck you want here, Bill. Yeah, I can. Oh, this is my kind of show. Yeah. You got to get shit done. And your bosses are counting on you to get shit yeah. done. It's why they put you in a leadership role. So leading work is the third area of leadership fitness. And leadership can be intimidating. Business can be intimidating. The first time I heard the term EBITDA, I was like, uh, what? what? <laughs> that is a financial term, right? Yep. Um, and there's all sorts of acronyms and there's all sorts of intimidating people. And there's the loudest person in the room and the smartest person in the room. And you feel like a, sometimes you start to recede when you're mm -hmm. around all of that intimidation. But business itself, it becomes less intimidating once you get really involved with business and you allow yourself to enjoy this cans this canvas where you can apply your creativity, where you can help shape decisions, where you can impact people and your customers for good. That that uh, yes, it's intimidating, but you and you're going to be under an incessant pressure to get results. But don't lose sight of the good things that you can do through your leadership influence and lean into business. Get become. 
business minded, mm-hmm. because particularly in HR, you don't mm-hmm. want to just be a functionary. You want to be a person who understands the levers of business, how it makes money and loses money and saves money, and and how given teams impact that. If you don't know how the business that your paycheck is connected to somehow impacting customers that are drawing revenue. If you don't understand those connection points, you need to as a leader. So lead yourself, lead work, lead others. You do those three things well, you will be fit to lead. I love it. I'm going to give you the right answer, Bell, for that HR comment, because (laughs) I used to work, I used to work for a guy and uh, we went to a meeting together and, you know, I participated in it. And I had questions for the leader about the business. And we were walking out of the meeting back to our offices. And he goes, how do you know all that stuff about what we do? And I'm like, well, uh, I talk to people and I ask them questions because I don't feel like I can advise them on the people side if I don't understand the business side. Right. He said, he said, oh, I'm, I'm on a need to know basis. I don't need to know any of that shit. And I was like, <laughs> how, how do you live your life every day, man? Yeah. I, could, I could not do it that way. Um, so I appreciate that, that comment. The, the HR folks have, have argued for a proverbial seat at the table forever, time immemorial, right? Yeah. Um, and you can't have one if you don't do that. You don't deserve one if you don't do that. You've right. got to get business mindedness. And by the way, business is super, super fascinating and interesting. All the different right. piece parts. Like I love the idea of risk, right? And risk mitigation and when we should be calculating it, when we should be taking it, um, you know, how, how we can offset risk to others, how we put it in our contracts, how we include safety in that equation, quality in that equation. There's so many different facets and elements of business that instead of being intimidated by it, if you start to, like you said, right, have the conversations with those specialists, the SMEs, the executives, understand what the strategy of the company is, why those initiatives are being pursued, how given teams feed into that strategy, then then you start to be like, okay, this is every day, yeah, it's hard work and leadership is hard, um, but it's super fascinating and interesting too. And it it can be intellectually inspiring. 100%. 100%. A, a thing that I've noticed, because um, I work with a lot of like world renowned engineers that I can't even, I can't even get a centimeter into what they're talking about from the engineering perspective. And, but what I've noticed is I am not a person who hesitates to say, I don't know what that means. Or like, could you, could you explain that differently? Or I missed that part. Like, yeah. I don't, that doesn't bother me at all. And what mm-hmm. I've noticed is that when I model that, I yeah. see people around the room going, oh, thank God somebody asked because I don't know what the <laughs> hell he's talking about either. Right. And so it all, it actually yeah. kind of sets up a, a that vulnerability of like, you can't expect everybody to know what's in your head and you got to ask and you need to be curious and, and people need to be patient and recognize that I can't throw 72 acronyms at this room and think that they're all landing, you know, yeah. with right. people and what's going on. Yep. That's yeah. such a great point. And it didn't, as you were speaking, I, I immediately went, uh, to what Eric had talked about vulnerability, because it's that vulnerability and mixed with courage, right? Like that yeah. that idea of I'm hey, I'm gonna be you know, all right, I'll look dumb for a second. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'd really yeah. like to. Can you explain it differently? <laughs> and, you right. know, and that helps everybody. Yep. yep. Yeah. So you know, you mentioned in your early leadership when you were when you were managing the the team and uh, you noticed that your dad came out the hothead. We've yeah. all worked with those hot-headed leaders. Um 
One of the chapters in your book is called Cultivate Composure, which I love because Morag's first book is called Cultivate the Power of Winning Relationships. So I key nice. into that word. And composure to me lines up with what we in, in this book call um, connection and compassion. Um, mm. So why is cultivating composure important to leadership? Thanks for asking. It's uh, that chapter is maybe one of the most important chapters I've ever written. I, I have not written 8,500 books. I've written uh, <laughs> six books and a off the shelf leadership program. that was like two books to write. Um, but I know I, Elaine Beach, she's a friend of mine. She wrote 85 books. Can you imagine? Oh I know I've won. I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so cultivate composure where that came from originally that chapter was originally supernaturalize everything. Ooh, how about that? Uh, I like that. But because where it came from was, I, I had no uh, designs to write a book during the great pandemic, right? Uh, in fact, as we moved into the COVID experience, we were all relegated to working from home. I was like, you know what? Everybody's asking me, are you going to write a book? And I'm like, no. I'm not, I'm going to not write a book. I'm going to not, I'm not going to focus on productivity right now. In fact, by the way, I'm going to go whitewater kayaking with my sons. And we did, we, we went on 50 whitewater socially distance nice. adventure, adventures together. But as COVID turned into the second year, right. uh, you know, You're like, so, I better get some shit done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, a book started to swell up. But one of the things that, that I was doing in during the COVID experience was, you know, when remember when men started, I didn't, I used to not have a beard. Remember during COVID, like all these men have beards and they started having long hair for a while. I, I did that. I was like the, the classic uh, COVID guy from home. Um, <laughs> and, but I started reconnecting with spiritual literature. That that mm. used to that's that twenty years plus ago, um, really was super instrumental into who I've become. I'm not talking about religious stuff, but I'm talking about um, spiritual stuff, right? Read yeah. from Carl Jung to Joseph Campbell um, to uh, Anthony DeMello to mm -hmm. uh, you know. So the, these were really impacted me way back then, and I was refreshing myself with those books. Uh, even Richard Bach's Illusions, you might remember. Oh book. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so I was reconnecting with that stuff, and it was helping me. It was it was like really it it realized it helped me realize what a crazy train that we were all on in 2019, right? But we didn't know it until we stepped off the crazy train. So now I was getting spiritually centered, and I was starting my day differently than back in 2019, where I would just like eat a breakfast burrito and yell at my kids and listen to angertainment on the radio and go to work and angertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I was starting my day with silence. I was starting my day with prayerful reflection. Now I read um, the daily stoic with Ryan. Oh, Holiday. yeah. And, so, and all it takes is a simple page. I read a paragraph. I read how that paragraph relates. I think about it in my own life. I say a little word to my higher power and uh, start my day. And it's a way better. So I, I couldn't talk about prayer per se in that chapter. I needed to make it accessible and open it up and secularize it. And so cultivating composure is where it landed. It's like, how are you starting your day? Yeah. By way of, are you, are you starting by thinking about who's the good person I want to be in the world today? What good should I do today? These are Ben Franklin questions. What good in the world have I done today? Reflecting on at the end of the day versus starting with this furious intensity and interruption stuff. So that gave us cultivate composure. Mm -hmm. I love so, that. And, and, and why is having this sense of composure important 
to to getting work done through other people. Yeah, because part of it is clarifying and your motive and polishing your conscience because you're in a leadership role. You can do some serious damage to the people that you're leading if you're coming at it from an ego space. Mm. If you're coming at it from your big ego or your fragile ego, instead of purified motives, which are to do good things for my customer and do good, do right by my people in the treatment of them and doing right by them, sometimes meaning giving them hard feedback. But if I'm coming at it from the motive that is other centric instead of me centric, I'm not going to do damage to anyone. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to remove my human pettiness. If I can start from a place of cultivated composure with thinking about how can I influence other people today in a good way, knowing that I'm going to be frustrated with them today. I'm going to be frustrated with interruptions. I'm going to sometimes drop into my human pettiness, right? It's the story of the two wolves kind of thing. But if I start my day with cultivated composure, I'm more likely to be my good wolf for the day. And when you're a leader, you got to manage, every human has to manage their the two wolves. But when you're a leader, if you're coming out of it from, you know, your, your base nature, you're going to do more damage in the world. So you, you have a and be less self-aware of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a you have an ethical responsibility to start from a place of centeredness because you're going to be in the midst of the storm for other people and they need to see you as a leader, right? I'm I'm picking up your Marcus Aurelius there, Sensei. I got it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think I think that's what's so interesting. The higher you go in an organization, again, thinking about modeling, because if the highest level of leadership in the organization does not come from cultivated composure, at least some of the time, mm. then that trickle effect becomes the wild west, or it becomes toxic yeah. culture, or it becomes yeah. um, petty, mean, wasted energy all over the place. And right, the, the, the more concentration that you can get, culturally speaking, walking that talk and being those ways, that sets the bar that this is what leadership looks like. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it becomes, you know, you've heard the term emotional contagion, right? Like if, mm -hmm. if I'm like a freak out boss, or if I'm constantly <laughs> adding a little or else to all my directives, then other people are going to seek permission to do that themselves when they Absolutely. move into leadership role. And then we're, then we've got an organization that's, that's fear-based and leadership that's fear-based. Right. I'm going to turn, I'm going to that sounds fun. It's making me shine the light over here. Woo. <laughs> Is, yeah. it, is it getting late in the bar? Are we turn the lights on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't see. It's not last call yet. <laughs> so, just sort of building on this on this idea around composure, um, one of the themes that's come up over the last couple of years since this this great COVID experiment that we've all been in um, is the increase in overwhelm and burnout, and that's hit leadership harder and HR people harder than just, you know, line level workers because of all the plates that we're spinning and all the things that we're juggling. How do you ward off getting overwhelmed and keep from keep from burning yourself out? Mm. So I, I am you all, right? So I'm not going to claim some, I'm not going to polish a halo on, on this. <laughs> I struggle with it too. What I do talk about in the book, and it came up in a leadership uh, workshop that I was leading, these people were in this company where they were actually winning work from their bigger competitors. And it was really exciting. And younger people were put into more senior roles because they could be, they're making a, you could make like $200,000 at 28 years old, right? Like, so <laughs> this, this was pretty cool, right? 
Except that I heard a few times in that conversation, we really love it here, but I feel like I'm redlining. Uh, and, I, and then somebody else said it, redlining. I'm like, what does that mean? And it's like, well, you know how your engine is out and the RPMs are out here and the engine's going to blow. I kind of feel like it's not sustainable. That's what I feel like. Like I enjoy it, but I'm working and overworking so much. So I, I you know, the, the way I look at redlining now is when you're overworked and in an unhealthy, unsustainable under-resourced environment for unreasonable amounts of time. And a lot of people are redlining, right? To, to what you just said, Aaron. So what Bill Treasure does, so certainly the Cultivate Composure practice that I start every morning. But beyond that, you know, the lowest impact, highest return activity you can do is walking. And there have been some really famous walkers, right? We all know Steve Jobs was a famous walker and, and he would cut deals on walks. He would negotiate on walks. He would also just go and think on walks. Albert Einstein was a famous walker. Charles Dickens was a famous walker. Henry David Thoreau's last essay was called On Walking and it's about a long sauntering walk. Here's what I can tell you about walks. And I, and I do this, I took a walk today before uh, we got on. Today. Not not a long one, about a half an hour. A lot of times I take like a 90 minute walk because I live in Asheville and I go up the mountain, meet with a couple of bears and literally bears, <laughs> right? Like I got to worry about. Um, but what I can tell you is this is about walking. You will never end a walk angry. You mm -hmm. may start a walk angry. You may start it with a furrowed brow, something on your mind, but you will end in gratitude. The important thing I think about a walk, some people want to go and work on themselves. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to put on the thing. I mean, oh, I'm going to talk to somebody. About that. No, you got to go take your brain for a walk. You get, you have to, just like you take a dog for a walk, take your brain for a walk and just go, right? And dissipate. So I think for me, walking is super healthy and, and being fresh and being outside. It's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. I love this. The idea of taking your brain for a walk, I'm picturing it on a little leash, <laughs> head up the mountain. Um, I think that's such a that's such a basic core thing that we need to get back to after this giant social experiment of everybody going home. Super convenient, and I don't have a commute, and I save on gas, and I don't step three feet away from this desk for more than five minutes over a nine or ten hour period of time. And right. that ain't good. <laughs> You're yeah. right. Right. And leaders need to be vigilant for that for their people when they're That's leading right. them remotely. So it's so one thing for the leader to pay attention to it for him or herself. Mm -hmm. But a leader's got to be making sure they're mindful of what's going on with their folks when they start to see that person mm -hmm. returning emails on, you know, on a weekend night and um, mm -hmm. or overworking in whatever way. Right. I will say I do have this. Th this happened right before COVID. My wife and her dad. Uh, and my wife did like 70% of it. My wife's a Wisconsin woman. So she's, she's this hardy kind of person. They built me this out office. How about this place? Oh, huh? Look at that. This is oh, adjacent. Me. It's a 20 foot walk from my house. I can look outside and I can take a nap. when oh, I want to. That's it's, awesome. Yeah. It's I bet your shed. wife can field dress an elk as well. I... <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That that's is fantastic. super cool. Yeah. So, you know, Bill, you, you, you point a lot of your, your advice at, at newer leaders. Um, and, and I'm curious, I'm just thinking about this wrestling with returning to work. You know, we've been in, we've been out, we've been trying to figure out, is it two days a week in the office? that's the best or three days. And do we go in on the same days? And there is a contingent of older, more seasoned 
experienced managers who have a real hard time with butts not being in seats. Yeah. When you hear about this as a cultural idiom in an organization, what do you say to those, those folks who, who can't, who can't get off the, if you're not here, you're not working mindset. Yeah. The BIS, the old butts and seats, right? Yeah. If I can see you working, I can control this environment. That and I'm, I, I always, my response is always, oh, I could waste a shit ton of time in the office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I can look productive as hell, but I can blow all of my time just wandering around talking to people. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I think that you're right, uh, Lori, when you called it a social experiment, right? Like, I, I think that we're still trying to figure this out. We're, we're still in a transitional moment, right? Like, I don't think anybody, most people, don't want to go back to 2019. Like I said, I, I yeah. think that we didn't realize what a crazy train we were on until yeah. the train stopped and we mm -hmm. had to get off in the station there, right? And uh, and and now we're, we're trying to meter, well, how much do I want to go? You know, what, what piece of that do I need to reclaim versus what of this new remote world is going to work well mm -hmm. for me? And it's hard for leadership because what we had to do during COVID that we never did before was we had to create exceptions. Usually before it was standard for protocols and procedures. And nope, this is what we do. You, you don't like that, you go somewhere else. Right. And now it's like, okay, you've got somebody who's immune compromised at home and you've got a kid that has to be, you know, is learning from home. You've got a parent working with you. And so now we're creating, you know, exceptions. And that in the old days, we call it favoritism. And so now we, <laughs> you know, how much of that do of the exceptionality? And it's hard. We're trying to kind of figure it out. Mm -hmm. What I do think, um, I have seen some of the old timers, uh, like I think of these two guys that run a company that I work with. It's a construction company. It's a $6 billion company. Okay. Their last name is on the company. Okay. And both of those guys who used to be adamant butts and seeds people, but then they all worked from home too. Right. Right. And they saw that they were having executive meetings and you know what, their ball wasn't dropping. And another company that started moving their board meetings to virtual, I was facilitating board meetings virtually. And they were like, uh, you know, maybe this isn't so bad. So I, I see a CEO who's younger, though he's not, not quite the grizzled, old, <laughs> fossilized guy. Um, and, and he does now work from home a few days a week. Having said that, there, I think we are also recognizing that there is something for physical proximity occasionally, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And because you can have a, a, Doom, a Zoom team building and, and we can have our little, you know, catch up chats and such, but we also need to get together sometimes yeah. uh, and, and let off steam and you miss some of that, you know, interaction stuff. So it's figuring out, I, there is no silver bullet answer for this sure. right now. It's almost like working with your team to find out what what seems right for us for what we've got going on. I love when when executives let those decisions be driven at the team level mm -hmm. because that's where it's most relevant. One of my favorite pieces of advice I, I heard from the CEO, um, he said, "Look, being together in three D space is powerful, but don't come into the office to be on Zoom meetings all day." If that's right. what you're doing, stay home, right? right? Come here and meet with people, talk to people, go to lunch, hang out, 
but don't come here and do what you would do from your home office. Mm -hmm. That's right. a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. And what has to drive everything is performance, right? We, we have to deliver, right? So, so let's all, that's the, those are table stakes. You got, we got to deliver and we got to deliver in the same way that we delivered in 2019. As long as we can do that, deliver it at the same standard, then we should care less how much time they want to spend at home. Yeah. This uh, there was a great article that actually one of the leaders in my organization shared with the rest of the leadership, which I love when that happens. <laughs> um, but it was a great it's an HBR article. I'll, I'll put it on the network um, and basically interviewing a bunch of people and remote managers and and you know, that that's a unique skill in itself, right? What what great remote managers do differently. And essentially it was interviewing managers and followers, like what's working. And I love this concept because they said, they said, we want our managers to be present and hands-on and operationally vigilant without being intrusive. Mm -hmm. So that means we don't want you to be micromanagers, but we want you to micro understand what's going on. That we want you to be present and connected and listening and and under you know understanding what's going on, but we got it. You hired us to do these jobs. We know what our deliverables are. We understand right. the expectations. So let us do the thing, but also don't just leave us floundering out there, right? Mm. We need to know that you're connected so that if we have an issue, you're already tracking with what's going on. So I loved it. Not micromanaging, but micro understanding. I like that. I thought that was a brilliant concept for managing remote people. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. You, you all might remember too that it wasn't too long ago, maybe about a month and a half ago. Uh, and in the same week, like the first time I'm going to say the word, you're going to be like, oh, yes, quiet quitting, right? Mm -hmm. I remember I, I read it on a Monday. By Tuesday, it was coming out of my client's mouth. By by Friday, everybody was not quiet quitting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Quiet quitting. No, we're not quiet quitting. It was, it's like, you know, so it, it really resonated, right? The term resonated. And, and I remember sitting with a bunch of grumpy people and like, yeah, what's quiet quit? Let me tell you something. Back in the day, if you didn't get the work done, you go, you want to quiet quit? Go quick, quiet quit. I ran out the door, right? <laughs> and then this woman who was at a table, she said, yeah, I don't really like the term. I, I think that why don't we just say, you mean having boundaries? Healthy boundaries. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, yes. and everybody at the table was like, yeah, she's got a point there. They were like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. We we were having a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about uh, you know, some of the companies that are putting in the the productivity monitoring software, right? Mm. Key loggers and presence detectors. And uh, um it was dangerous. funny because we had this conversation and then just a couple of days later, because you know, Siri and Alexa, they're always listening. Uh, Amazon started pushing me ads for a product that I did not know existed called a mouse jiggler. <laughs> it, is, it is a product that you put your mouse into and on regular intervals, it will jiggle it around so that your computer doesn't go to sleep and you are productive. Yeah. We have brilliant, uh, brilliant engineers who came up with Zoom backgrounds. Remember that was all the rage when everybody right. is on Zoom and do you get the stock yeah. ones or your own photos or whatever. Right. Right. And we have people that created these these little video loops of themselves moving different in different places. Taking a drink ah. of the coffee. Like 
and you know, and they could hide their camera, right, and go off and have a snack or do whatever. Wow. And they're going to the Zoom mm. audience. It looked like they were, you know, because it was wow. moving, but it was just a loop. It was that is so was funny. That's thing. so funny. You know what's funny about yeah? You know, so I hadn't heard about productivity software like that. That's that's uh, scary and interesting. <laughs> but, but what is what's always interesting about stuff like that? I, I think back to the years back at Accenture when I was working there, and, the, and we had a time card system, and it was all electronic, right? So you could monitor your time, and you had time codes that you had to code everything. Because you were to. billing everything in fifteen minute increments. Yeah, so all that usage, <laughs> right, and make sure that our people are out there, you know, and that they're billable all the time. Um, except that the senior leaders yeah. exempted themselves from having to do this because well, our time is in flux all the time. You don't understand. <laughs> we don't need productivity software, but we're productive. It's all about you. The That's right. Monitor. Is your butt in your seat? No, don't worry about me. I'm playing golf right now. My butt's not in my seat, but it's about you. Not it's me. about doing a deal, though, Bill. I'm, yeah, this well, is a very business-oriented golf. golf game. <laughs> so I'm going to ask one more question and then turn it over to the to the folks, see if anybody have questions for you. Uh, what do you want people to come away from this book with? Mm, mm. I, I started the book. I, my dedication to the book is two words. And the last chapter is two words. Of course, all the chapters are two words. Two words. The, <laughs> what's bookending the book uh, is be courageous. Mm -hmm. right? mm. The world needs your courage. The world needs your full engagement. The world needs you to carry your fear with you, to, to not run away from it. Uh, the world needs the best of you to show up with the best of yourself, to draw out the best in others. We are passing the baton to you now when you're in a leadership role. Some of us didn't do a very good job when we had the baton. Now it's your turn and we want you to do a better job. In my case, this book becomes, I hope, a, a little bit of a, a way to help you remove the burden of leadership so that you don't have to be feel weighed down by it because leadership can be joyful if you allow it to, if you do certain things. So I hope that you will be courageous is ultimately what my message is to the people who read the book. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bill. All right, questions. Anybody have any questions for Bill before we do our funny things? We cry a little bit and then we go have dinner. <laughs> just thank you for the work that you do and for being here. It's been awesome just listening to you. And I really um, love the term cultivate composure. I'm going to dig into that a little bit more and use it in my coaching and in the work that we do. So yeah. love, love that. Love that. All, all the things you said during that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, two things. One, um, you know, also, although I didn't put it, I took the title off of that. But I do believe that when you situate yourself and cultivate your composure and you start your day with quiet reflection, you we can call it prayer. It, you know, but I would you know take the religious connotation off of that. And I believe you do supernaturalize everything. You, you, everything is imbued with purpose. And suddenly the purpose of the person who might be frustrating you, you start thinking, what do they need from me? And, and how might I be able to reach that person with where they're at? So supernaturalizing everything is, all, is mm -hmm. connected to, to uh, you start to see your world and your leadership and the perplexing situations that you're dealing with as a opportunity to um imbued with purpose so but thank you for that and, and by the way this 
I this has been a super unique kind of session to do to do a, a, a podcast webinarish kind of bartending thing. I like it. I've never we're, done. We're this super before. unique here, Bill. That's how it I rolls tell you at the bartender. <laughs> well, big ups to Bill. He's called Bill Treasurer. His book is called Leadership: Two Words at a Time. Big ups. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me at the wel- bar. You are welcome to hang out here at the bar as we go through our ending. Ritual. You start your day with quiet reflection. We end our day with silly jokes. So (laughs) (laughs) funny thing. Number one, this one struck me funny. and I literally laughed out loud. It sucks. You can't Google something happening in your life. Like what does my neighbor Derek do for work? (laughs) (laughs) One time I was in an elevator and a guy dropped a bunch of loose grapes on the ground and then was like, sorry, I haven't eaten grapes in a while. (laughs) I think about him every day. (laughs) The rest of the ones are a little edgy because I was having that kind of day. This is child. I learned a joke at school. Me. Okay, let's hear it. Child. What goes in stiff but comes out soft? Me. Child. Me. Child. Me. It's a wife running in from the other room. Spaghetti. It's spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, these these next two go together in a slightly disturbing way editor you get those photos of elliot gould and grover photographer sure did boss real fucking sexy just like you asked editor what (laughs) (laughs) and i love the the, this is a retweet the tweet was reminder for when this site dies this was the best tweet of all time (laughs) and it might be close because if you look really closely at the cover of the tv guide it says Elliot Gould and the Cookie Monster. That's not Cookie Monster. <laughs> That's Grover. Um, and as disturbing as it is to see <laughs> Monica and Ross's dad with Grover looking super sexy, um, this picture of Steven Spielberg and E.T. Wow. is about eighty wow. percent more sexy than it really needs to be. <laughs> but my favorite funny thing today is a tweet from from Shen the Bird. Me. Wow. Is that a mockingbird? Mockingbird. Wow. Is that a mockingbird? Fuck you. Because <laughs> that's a mockingbird. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Let's let, let's, let, let's let Steve Hartman do his thing here. This guy's 97 years old and he works all the time. For one very hard worker, the secret to a long active life is quite simply in the bag. Here's Steve Hartman. When you reach a certain age, just getting down to the driveway can feel like a full day's work. But for 97-year-old Benny Facito of Perth Amboy, New Jersey, overcoming those stairs is just the beginning of his workday. What the whole time is up here? Two days a week, he clocks in for a four-hour shift. There it is. His job? Oh, good morning, hon. Fag boy at the local stop-and shop. See that? Yeah, nice, I do it. Benny used to be a warehouse supervisor for a cosmetics company. Thank you. You're welcome. He supposedly retired back in the 80s, but he's been doing odd jobs ever since because he says he loves a hard day's work and always has. What was your first job you ever had? Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> a job. We had a shoe shine when I was young. At what age? Seven or so. So you shine shoes, then what did you do? Then I go home. No. What was your next job? I went to barber school. Okay. After that, I went to the army. 
Benny served in the Army Air Force during World War II. He was a gunner on a B-25 Mitchell bomber, flying mostly over Northern Africa and Italy. Today, his Italian casualties are far less consequential. <laughs> but he still approaches his job with that same tireless, warrior-like determination. For example, Benny says he'd sooner stack a honeydew on white bread than loaf around on the job. I don't take no breaks. No breaks? No breaks. Benny will not take a break. Never? Never take a break. That's the boss man. Mike Moss is the assistant manager. What if you went up to him right now and said, Benny, it's break time? He'll yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that the hard way. I don't want it. Take I a break. Take a load off. I don't want to stop. Don't tell me how to work. See the light <laughs> on? That's where I'm going. When I pressed Benny on this, he said something really interesting. He said, why would I take a break when I only get to work four hours? He actually put it that way. I only get to work four hours. As if bagging groceries was some kind of privilege bestowed upon him. I get a feeling that I did something good. You can't just stand around like an idiot. You have to have a reason to keep alive. You're welcome, sir. For Benny, that reason is to go out and earn. Not just a paycheck, but a purpose. He says you need to contribute at all times and avoid breaks take a break? at all costs. You can go sit down. No, I don't want to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if I if I make it to 97, I want to be like Benny. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Awesome. I love me too. it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Today's semi quarantine. Right? Mm -hmm. Steve yeah. Hartman, he's a he's a rich trove of good feel <laughs> stories. Good and stuff. I like him because they're like two and a half minutes long. Today, today's semi-quarantine cocktail is the parade of hearses. This is a riff on a cocktail, a literal cocktail called the last word. You need three quarters of an ounce of gin, 122 hearses, three quarters ounce of green chartreuse. That was a world record for a parade of hearses. And in the pre-show, we discussed these were not active, working, filled hearses, <laughs> just hearses in general. That's important little... for the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, timing would have been a bitch. Um, <laughs> a little bit of maraschino liqueur. It was This happened in South Africa, sponsored by a company called Funerex, which I thought... Is that like a drug company? What is that? Right. It's like a, it's like funeral software. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, a little bit of lime juice. And there was also at the end of the parade, there was a trade show that showed off new hearse technology, shiny coffins, and these new funeral services like, you know, if you want to be a tree, which I thought, all right, that's cool. Garnish it with a brandy cherry. And then you are done. Guys, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. It's been fantastic to see you. Awesome. We got, we got, yeah, thank you all. Thank you, Bill, for being here. We got a guest <laughs> next week. Come back. Let's do this thing. Go get some dinner. Have a good all night, right. everybody. Ciao, y'all. Good seeing you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.